This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, October 10th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. After a bitter three-week fight that included more mudslinging than imaginable, Brett Kavanaugh now sits on the Supreme Court. One of the left's major strategies was to pit women against Kavanaugh and to label women who supported him as traitors to their gender. Today, we'll be joined by two women who marched on Capitol Hill to defend and support Brett Kavanaugh. Plus, we debate the new movie, A Star is Born. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. Nikki Haley, ambassador to the U.N., announced she will resign at the end of the year. She joined President Trump in the Oval Office to make her announcement and to celebrate the achievements of her tenure. First of all, I want to thank the president for just, you know, allowing us to come out and talk to you this way. Um, It has been an honor of a lifetime. You know, I said I am such a lucky girl to have been able to lead the state that raised me and to serve a country I love so very much has really been a blessing and I want to thank you for that. But I'm most excited, look at the two years. Look at what has happened in two years with the United States on foreign policy. Now the United States is respected. Countries may not like what we do, but they respect what we do. They know that if we say we're going to do something, we follow it through. Tuesday was Brett Kavanaugh's first day on the Supreme Court with Chief Justice John Roberts remarking, It gives me great pleasure on behalf of myself and my colleagues to welcome Justice Kavanaugh to the court. We wish you a long and happy career in our common calling. Kavanaugh, whose wife and daughters were present for his first day, asked several questions during an oral argument. He also announced his law clerks, all four of whom are women, a first for any Supreme Court justice. But of course, if you've listened to the Daily Signal's interviews with former Kavanaugh female clerks, they've raved about what a great boss he is, so it's not so much of a surprise to us. Well, Senator Lindsey Graham played a key role in saving Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, and now he's still not letting up. The senator joined Sean Hannity on Fox News and shared his concerns over the treatment of future Supreme Court nominees. We can't reward this behavior because we'll just get a lot more of it. I think that's what Susan was understanding is that if she legitimized this process, God help the next person to be nominated for the Supreme Court. If we legitimize this process, the rule of law gave away to the mob rule. The Hirano standard is horrific. What was insulting is the way that the senator from Hawaii took everything we hold near and dear By the way, and threw it Senator, over you shouldn't be saying that. Like you should Kavanaugh. shut up and sit like down, Trump. she said. She said men should shut up and sit down. <laughs> shut up, Senator, and sit yeah, down. The only thing that goes wrong, for me, too. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and it probably right half the time. But the people of South Carolina gave me my voice, not the senator from Hawaii. And I, and I chose to use it. Well, we've talked a lot in this show about the increased aggression from the left against some conservatives. And in an interview with Breitbart, Kelly Paul, wife of Senator Rand Paul, he's, of course, is the Republican senator from Kentucky, discussed how she is worried about safety these days. Talk to me about some of the precautions that you've taken um, for yourself and for your own family's safety. You know, we've updated all of our security systems at home. We, I sleep with a loaded gun by my bed. Uh, you know, when I'm home alone a lot, obviously, with when Rand is up here. And so I've got deadbolts all around my house so that if someone's in my house when I go to bed, I'm deadbolted in three different <laughs> levels. You know, I mean, and it's, it's bizarre that I've, n- I've never been like this in my whole life. I've, you know, we're, we live in a fairly, I'm um, not a small town, but not a really big place. I've always felt very safe, used to never even lock our doors. And, and now, um, 
that has all changed. And, um, you know, even going out to dinner in D.C. last night, you worry. You know, you, you hope that people aren't going to come up and just start screaming at you. Well, the oil giant ExxonMobil is donating a million dollars to promote a tax on carbon emissions. Well, that may come as a surprise move from an oil company, but according to the Wall Street Journal, Exxon officials expect regulations to ramp up sometime in the near future in light of fears over climate change. They say their proposal is a simplified version of carbon regulation as opposed to more complex versions that could create more uncertainty for the industry. Okay, and Kanye's coming to the White House Thursday. Does that sound excited enough? Our producer told me to sound very excited. Okay, but in all seriousness, Kanye is coming. In a statement Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, quote, Kanye West is coming to the White House to have lunch with President Trump, and he will also meet with Jared Kushner. Topics of discussion will include manufacturing resurgence in America, prison reform, how to prevent gang violence, and what can be done to reduce violence in Chicago. I just want to see Kanye and Trump do a duet, live tweet together. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities here. Something like here. that. At least a press conference in the Rose Garden No, I don't want another press conference. I want, like... <laughs> I don't know. I want like Kanye to wear his MAGA hat and throw it to Trump, and Trump catches it and then starts tap dancing. His, do you think he'll arrive at wearing his MAGA hat? Uh, maybe, or maybe he'll wear. He has a clothing brand that he's very particular about. That is, I think, is called Yeezy. All right, Kanye world is confusing. Anyway, he's coming to the White House. It's going to be epic. Hopefully, and, I wonder uh, if yeah. Trump would introduce him as his new name. Yay! That's his new name. Yeah, he changed his name I'm, from Kanye to Yay. I mean. You do you, Kanye. Okay. Well, All right. He always does. He always does him. <laughs> well, up next, we'll talk to two women who marched on Capitol Hill in support of Brett Kavanaugh. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. On behalf of our nation, I want to apologize to Brett and the entire Kavanaugh family for the terrible pain and suffering you have been forced to endure. Those who step forward to serve our country deserve a fair and dignified evaluation, not a campaign of political and personal destruction based on lies and deception. What happened to the Kavanaugh family violates every notion of fairness, decency, and due process. Our country, a man or a woman, must always be presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. Well, that was President Trump on Monday night introducing for the first time Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The process was grueling and at many times grotesque. Uh, No method was spared in the attempt to shoot down Kavanaugh's nomination. Protests were a little more than rowdy. Republican officials received death threats and on the streets, those who marched in defense of Kavanaugh faced the scorn of the mob. I'm joined now by two women from the Heritage Foundation who marched in support of Brett Kavanaugh. Amy Swearer is a legal policy analyst here, and Dylan Brandt, her first time on the podcast, works in the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics. Thank you both for being here. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thanks now, for having us. Now, Amy, I, we saw your piece uh, in the Daily Signal that came out on Friday, which talked about your uh, time marching on Capitol Hill. Uh, Dylan, you posted later in the weekend on Facebook about uh, your march uh, on, on Capitol Hill. And I was very struck by the images of you holding that sign, I stand with Brett, and all the protesters surrounding you. Uh, tell us tell us about your time marching out in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, so I just went with a friend and I had a sign in big block letters that said, I stand with Brett, and I marched right into the heart of the protests. And um, I certainly wasn't being antagonistic, except for, I suppose, holding a sign that disagreed with people. Um, and shouts from women and angry faces of shame, shame on you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, one woman looked me just dead in the face and said, I hope Brett Kavanaugh rapes you. Uh, I got called white trash. Uh, I uh, just so many expletives were shouted at me. Um, and and like I said, I wasn't being antagonistic at all. I was willing to strike up a conversation with anybody who was there. So just the fact that they were so willing and eager to shame women uh, who disagreed with them was appalling and shocking to me. Was anyone willing to have a conversation or was it just pretty much, you know, chanting and shouting there was There was one woman who came up to me uh, and wanted to have a conversation and she said, Regardless of whether or not you think that Brett Kavanaugh committed the allegations of which he's accused, these women do, and you are uh, in their emotional safe space, and you should feel sorry for that. And then she walked away. So it seemed like she was going to have a conversation, but she didn't want to have a conversation either. I would love an emotional safe space. (laughs) Just as a side (laughs) note, that would be great for someone as moody as me. But Amy, you had a slightly different experience when you went out with um, I I Stand With Brett sign. Can you tell us how that went? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny listening to Dylan. I'm actually struck by the sheer dichotomy of of what happened. Uh, So we have some interns in our office uh, and we like to give them various experiences and uh, on Friday, you know, we decided, look, let's just go get the lay of the land. Let's just go observe some of these protests. You know, this is a, a big event that is happening right in our backyard. Uh, you know, let's let's go. Uh, one of the interns had an I stand with Brett sign that that she had gotten earlier in the week. Uh, she was like, can I bring it? Like, yeah, sure. I mean, we, we weren't really there necessarily to to engage in, in protesting, uh, but we had the sign. We brought it. Um, our, our goal wasn't to actually you know, participate in, in protests. Uh, and so we, we kind of kept a respectful distance. We actually ended up doing this kind of lap around the Capitol, ju- just trying to to get a lay of, of where all of the protests were happening and what was going on. Um, for, for the most part, the protesters kind of ignored us, um, I, I think in, in large part because we weren't you know, stand, standing there holding up a sign defiantly in their face. Um, we weren't in their emotional safe space. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, so, so we were largely just kind of ignored. We, we got some you know, shouts of, you know, shame on you. Uh, weirdly enough, some that were in this this cadence that I guess they were all practicing, like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as we were kind of walking along, what I was actually struck by was that, I mean, we could not go more than you know, 30, 40, I mean, sometimes maybe 50 yards without having uh, – being stopped by by non-protesters, by mostly tourists, actually, you know, people just out on walks, um, in fact, trying to stay away from the areas uh, where protests were happening. Uh, and we, we were stopped by, by people who, you know, at first we were kind of wary, like, you know, what do you want with our sign? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are you going to break it? Whatever. 
Um, but by the numbers of people who actually wanted to take pictures with our sign, who, who saw the sign uh, and be like, oh, my gosh, me too. You know, do you have any extra signs? Um, you know, and, and would stop us, you know, calmly just, just to thank us. Uh, you know, all sorts of people from all over the country, Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, Northern California, you know, people out with their families, just, just, you know, and then on top of that, these these looks that we would get where people would get our attention and just give us a thumbs up, you know, give us a smile um, and, and tell us how heartened they were to, to see that sign. Um, and then, we, you know, they'd, they'd get even more heartened when we tell them, no, look, it's not just you. Uh, we, we've had dozens of people in the last five minutes stop us, uh, you know, to, to thank us and, and you know, you're, you're not alone. Um, and that, that's really kind of what we came away with was all of these people who otherwise would have stayed silent. You know, they, they weren't out counter-protesting, just out with their families trying to enjoy life. Just regular uh, Americans. Yeah, just, mm. just regular uh, Americans who, be, because they saw someone else making a statement, you know, felt kind of emboldened by it. To be like, yeah, you know, you are speaking for me here. Um, you know, even though I'm not out shouting, you know, that those four words, you know, I stand with Brett. We agree with that. Um, and so it's it kind of this very interesting uh, distinction between what Dylan and I ended up experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I was uh, talking recently to a friend of mine about the Kavanaugh case, and she's been spending a lot of time um, outside of Washington, D.C., and talking to activists in various states. And she sort of said, along what you've just been saying, Amy, like, you know, I, the media bubble seems to be largely focused on those against Kavanaugh, but there are a lot of people throughout this country who were really angry and wanted Kavanaugh in and were very upset about how he was treated. And I think that's something that's definitely been underreported. But I also wanted to ask both of you and whoever wants to go first can, um, why did you support Brett Kavanaugh? I think that it's particularly important as women that we that we care about the processes of justice that are upheld in our nation. Um, I think that importantly, this case and the political weaponization of sexual assault in the Me Too movement is really problematic. Um, I think that it undercuts the value of the Me Too movement and forces people into two different camps, the camp where you believe accusers regardless of any or no evidence at all, or the camp where you believe that accusers are inherently seeking uh, an agenda, be it for revenge or politics. Um, So I think that uh, that is a problem. I think that there's not a spirit of good faith in which the two parties must come to the table. But supporting Brett Kavanaugh, I think his judicial record speaks for itself. I think that he, in any court of law, the calendars that he presented would have been exonerating evidence. Um, I think that he is a fair and good man, and he did everything to evidence that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I told one of the, the women who actually stopped us. And, and she, uh, she had her two teenage daughters there and, you know, she was like, thank you for being being a role model. And, you know, can you explain to my daughters why you stand with Brett? I was more than happy to. Yeah, I, I did not go to law school to learn all about basic principles of, of fairness and, and evidentiary procedures and, and standards that we have for analyzing claims, serious claims of, of sexual misconduct. I didn't go to law school to then just abandon all of that in my everyday life. Uh, you know, I, I didn't go to law school to just abandon rationality and, and reasonable assessment of, of facts and evidence just because the accuser also has a uterus. I mean, that that to me is absurd. You know, that this premise of, you know, I say this as someone 
Um, you, you guys know I've, I've written on Me Too before. I've written about some of my own experiences um, with being roofied in a bar uh, and you know dealing with the implications of, of sexual assault. And I, I cannot for the life of me understand this this thought process of, of saying we must abandon basic fairness. You know, we must presume that someone is guilty simply because it's not in a court of law. Um, you know, we, we must believe women. Like I, I clerked in a public defender's office for, for two years. I've, I've seen women lie for, for various reasons. I've seen men lie. I, you know, it turns out women are human beings with all of the same you know, propensities and, and, and frailties of, of men. And that's just the way that it is. And this idea that we just abandon facts and, and rational analysis for emotion is, is so contrary to, to, to everything that we learn as lawyers. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, when, it, when I actually engage in that rational analysis, I, I come to very much the same conclusion as Dylan. There's, there's no corroborating evidence for a claim that should otherwise be easily corroborated. And at that point, you have to start asking questions about, okay, what, what does that mean for essentially ruining a man's life, um, you know, and, and, and marring him with that claim? Um, you know, and, and reasonable people might re- reach different conclusions, but I, I think that's an analysis that you have to make first. You, know, you, you don't start with, oh, I believe a claim just because I happen to be the same gender as the accuser. Yeah, that's part of why I think um, Senator Susan Collins' speech on the Senate floor was so powerful. Phenomenal. I mean, she was in such a pivotal position um, being kind of on, you know, uh, uh, was I guess she was the 50th vote. Um, but then as a woman who is, you know, people thought might be on the fence, mm-hmm. actually laying out for 45 minutes all of the facts without seemingly without any in political bias or influence from outside. And it just seemed throughout this whole process that, the outcome was driving everything. You can dispense with everything, any sort of norms and ethics uh, in, in fairness, as you were talking about, in order to achieve a certain outcome that you want. When I, I think what's so telling to me is uh, on social media, there were a number of people who uh, immediately after, uh, you know, listening or I, I guess kind of listening to Senator Collins' speech, which was in and of itself phenomenal, very well laid out. Um, but who immediately pounced on that as how dare Senator Collins attack Dr. Ford. (laughs) When you listen to the speech, she's laying out just the realities Mm -hmm. of of what came up and what didn't come up and and what what the accusations were were missing in terms of corroboration. There was no personal attack whatsoever. And and in fact, uh, at at multiple points, she, she praised People who, who come forward, it, it, that is a bold step to come forward with with these these allegations. But at the end of the day, she laid out a very convincing, uh, compelling case for what was missing with those accusations. Um, and, and so to me, that was telling that it immediately turned into, well, how dare you attack a survivor by pointing out that there are inconsistencies and, and missing gaps in the story? Yeah, I think that in this whole conversation. I think that if we really want to empower women, we have to demand justice within the framework that we're given. We can't demand special treatment. Um, If we don't want to be seen as the weaker sex, we have to stop cheating the rules. Uh, I mean, could could you imagine if this were a a male accuser and someone were like, well, we have to believe him because he's a man. We must believe all men. The the backlash would just 
I, I mean, you would shut down the internet with that backlash. Um, so I, I mean, I, I agree. It's treat women equally by treating them like human beings, uh, you know, in, in every facet and, and aspect of, of you know, what it means to be a human being, to, to have a faulty memory, to misremember things, to have motivations for, for being dishonest. Um, you know, and, and again, that, that's why we, we believe evidence. You know, we, we don't believe people, especially not when the evidence seems contrary to that. Yeah. And just the same as uh, perpetrators of sexual abuse should and rightly should be uh, punished. I think that we need to seek to protect the men who who offer us dignity and respect and treat us the way that we deserve uh, by undermining the intentions of those men we throw out any incentive for them to behave well towards us. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to, to an extent, I, I'd agree. I mean, when men know that there's going to be no fairness in, in any sort of process. Doesn't uh, matter what they do. Yeah, I, I mean, well, it's... come on. I would certainly hope <laughs> yeah. guys are good enough that they would for it. No, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't mean to suggest that, oh, it's going to be a, a free-for-all, but but it, it certainly does, you know, put, I think, a burden on men that is unfair. It's just like it, it puts a burden on on women to, to be unanimously believed no matter what we do. Um, you know, it's and, and I think that was more what Dylan was getting at. Yeah, the burden of proof isn't on the defendant. That doesn't make it's just, yeah. Right. And of course, it's absolutely traumatic to be accused of rape when you're innocent. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us to discuss this heavy topic. And uh, I guess we'll be having a quieter week in D.C. I hope so. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kelsey Harkness, co-host of Problematic Women, a podcast in Facebook Live that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. Subscribe and tune in for our weekly episodes every Thursday on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Star is Born, starring Bradley Cooper and singer Lady Gaga, was the number two movie this weekend, and it's already a top Oscar contender. It's a remake of earlier Hollywood films, all about how a woman meets a famous man, becomes a star in her own right, and then tragedy occurs. Now, beware, we are going to talk spoilers galore, so if you still want to see it and don't want to know what happens, please, even though I never say this, tune out at this point. But... Joining me today is Thalia Rampersad. She is our producer, but she is also part of TNG at the Movies, podcast favorite. And we also have our co-host, Jenny Montalbano. Daniel stepped out for this one because he hasn't seen it and is lame. Sorry, Daniel. But Thalia, let's start with you. What did you think of A Star is Born? So I have nothing but raving reviews for A Star is Born with it being the actorial debut of Lady Gaga herself, as well as the directorial debut of Bradley Cooper. The combination, the chemistry between them is phenomenal, and it really plays out well on the screen. Okay, Jenny, what did you think about it? So I went into it more excited for Lady Gaga, but I came out of it more hyped up about Bradley Cooper. I just think I'm a huge country music fan, so hearing him just nail these songs got me really excited. When it comes to the ending, though, to me, it ended so suddenly. My only critique was that I wish they would have had some more scenes afterwards to make it feel more closed, like the story had come to complete close. Um, to me, this, the ending was just sudden, but I thought all around it was really moving and really touching, and the soundtrack was phenomenal. 
So the ending that Jenny alluded to throughout the movie, Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, uh, clearly struggles with addiction. We see him in the very beginning of the movie taking pills and drinking a lot of alcohol. And it's something that just keeps on going. And then the tragic ending, which I looked up because it shocked me, and I thought I had seen a version of this movie before, but I apparently hadn't, um, is his character commits suicide. And it's incredibly sad. And I would say my main critique of the movie was not that the movie itself was bad. There were certain parts. I mean, there were different things if I were the screenwriter, I say, without any screenwriting experience that I would have done differently. But I felt in an age where suicides have gone up, it really bummed me out to see a movie depict it. And as Jenny just said, depicted in such a way that they didn't really go a lot into the grief afterward. They did a little bit, but it felt like his loss probably meant a lot more than they showed. So I have a question for you, Kate. Sam Elliott's character, after Jackson Maine has committed suicide, you see— And that's Jackson's brother. In the- well, yeah. So yeah, so Sam Elliott plays Jackson Maine's brother. And at the end of the film, when Lady Gaga, her character Allie, is grieving with Sam Elliott's character, you see Sam Elliott turn to her and say, you know, this was only his fault. This was nobody else's fault but his own. So do you then think that brings up a conversation of, you know, who is really at fault here? Because, spoiler alert, Jackson Maine decides to commit suicide after he has a conversation with Ali's manager, where he basically almost tears down Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, and belittles him to the point where, you know, he says that Ali, Lady Gaga, is not going to tell him any of the things the manager is telling him, where he says, you know, she loves you too much that she she doesn't want to go on tour without him. And really it was that that was kind of the climax of the movie. So where do you think I I know I had conversations with the people I saw it with afterwards, who's where was fault to be had there in terms of the suicide itself? Um I, you know, I think with suicide it's uh, I guess I'm going to weasel out of this and say I don't know. You know, it's a mental illness, depression obviously. Um it's unclear to me how much is someone's choice versus a disease. Um you know, I mean it, it's it's complicated. It's people are not in their right mind. Um, but at the same time, I think one of the reasons it really upset me was that conversation you recounted where, yeah, essentially uh, the Jackson main character was told his wife would be better with him dead. And that's exactly the sort of lie that people who are depressed believe that the world would be better with them dead. And that's so not true. And I think it also was sad because I am not 100 percent sure, but I think Bradley Cooper has struggled with addiction. And to me, like in this age where people are using opioids and there seems to be a lot of binge drinking and like, you know, addiction just seems to be on the rise generally. Like it is so powerful. And I don't want all stories to be happy or have rosy endings, but it just felt like, wow, if you'd shown this guy coming back from this addiction, that would have been so meaningful and so hopeful. And it can be done. It's super tough, but it can be done. So I I don't know. It just felt like the wrong movie for this moment. I agree. I thought it was so sad, especially, but I thought something that they did really well was the symbolism at the end when he says, I want to you know, see you one more time. That's when I knew what was about to happen. I also liked the use of the dog, which actually, by the way, is Bradley Cooper's real dog. Oh my gosh, the dog was so cute. The dog was precious. It makes me want another one. <laughs> no, I think, um, and actually I should say, the movie did raise some interesting questions that I felt they didn't get into and I wish they had gotten into. One of the most telling is uh, the Lady Gaga character, Allie, originally starts sort of singing country or folk, and then she sort of becomes like a Britney Spears type, this very, uh, I don't know, salacious dancing and pop music. Um, 
and this is not a family friendly movie, FYI, just be aware. Um, and Bradley Cooper's character kind of calls her on that. He's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? Who are you? What was your message? What What are you singing? And like, even though he's an addict and even though he's struggling, he's really able to see more clearly than she is. And I thought that was a really interesting tension. But the movie doesn't really address that except at the end. She sort of goes back to her roots and her singing, but it doesn't really discuss whether she gave up being a stupid pop star or not. So I did a ton of research before I went into this movie, just because I'm a movie nerd. This is why she's a film geek. And okay. Yeah, exactly. And so I read an interview where uh, Lady Gaga, right before she was about to film that last scene, that ballad that they had written together, Lady Gaga had gotten news that her best friend was dying of cancer. And so she immediately got into the car and drove to go see her friend. And right before she got there, her friend sadly passed away. Oh my God. And so then she had to then come back and perform that last scene. And she said in these interviews that it was one of the most difficult but also just powerful scenes that she's ever shot. And I think knowing that now holds a lot more weight as I watch that scene again. No, that's I did not know that. Well, we'll see how it does in the Oscars. I'm sure we'll have TNG at the movies back for some Oscar chat at some point, although I believe you guys are scheduled for horror movies. That's that is so that's not me. That's just Michael. I <laughs> that's do not just do G of TNG. Yeah, that's just G that time. I don't do that. Well, horror. maybe Ginny will do it and it'll be G and G. I'll step it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for joining us and Leah for joining us on this side of the window. I don't know how to phrase it. And since Daniel's not here, I guess I'm going to do all of this. We're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. And we'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.